0: a um, few questions uh, whilst I have a sip of water I've called it Jesus is the Christmas Father if Christian faith is Trinitarian uh, there's one God and he's Father, Son and Spirit but the Father's not the Son and the Son's not the Spirit and the Son, didn't, the Son did die on the cross and the Father didn't die on the cross and the Spirit indwells us how come Jesus is called Everlasting Father in Isaiah chapter 9 and I'll have a sip of water It's a shorter one from me today because this is a communion service and um, I love communion to have centerpiece where we take in the body of Jesus for our salvation as we trust in Him. But this is an important one. Isaiah 9 is important if you've ever asked, like, what's God like? Who is He like? Um, If I come near to Him, how will He treat me? Okay? And it was written about 700 years before the first Christmas day and it's all about Jesus, Isaiah chapter 9 and here's why it's written. So basically, everybody on the planet has got a worship problem, um, like a worship displacement disorder. And we've always had it, and we keep worshipping things that we shouldn't, and we don't worship things that we do. And we keep doing it. And so the living God helps us out with that by giving us Isaiah chapter 9. Now let me summarize the whole Bible in a sentence or two. The living God, the Father, God the Father, before the foundation of the world, said to the Spirit, right, humans are going to have a problem, um, a worship displacement disorder. They're going to try and worship rubbish gods. So, let's send the very best of us in this family of God onto the planet to help them get that issue right. And then, arrives on the first Christmas, the Son. And God's like, do not let anyone define God in any way other than Him. Let nobody look to football or celebrities or Botox or Ferraris to worship. Everybody should look at Him. And that will sort the human problem of the worship displacement. So Jesus gets the job of being the icon of God. The image of God onto the planet. Now, if you were alive before there was pictures, which I don't think anybody was here. Um, if you wanted to know like, who was in charge, the king or queen, what would you look at in the old old days to know what like, they looked like? What would you look at? Everybody had one. A coin. A coin, a coin or a stamp. So you look at the little mini icon, you learn what the big one is, like or looks like. Now, People say that I look like Beaker from the Muppets. Do you know the one that goes me me me? Do you know that one? It's deeply offensive, but um, but also sort of true. So if anyone would say to you, "Oh, what does your minister look like?" and you don't have a picture of me to hand, you could say, "Well, you know the Muppets, um, Beaker. He looks like that." All right. I've been called worse things as well. That's actually a nice one that I've been given. So little icons, little pictures can teach you about something behind it. Right, back to God. For the people who have a worship displacement disorder, who do we look at to learn about God? The answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. The icon, the coin, the stamp, the image of the living God. And if you're trying to find God without looking at Him, you'll get a warped view. Hitler believed in God, but like thought, oh, power, he must be powerful, I'll define it my way, and came up with a ghastly God. Or if you try to define your whole life and worship like people, you'll go down the celebrity football route, and it's utterly a waste of time. So both God and man are wonderfully joined in Jesus, the image and icon of God. If you look to Jesus... You learn who the living God is. So he arrives, and Colossians called him the image of the invisible God. Hebrews calls him the exact imprint of God's nature. John 1 says Jesus makes the Father known. John 14, Jesus says, if you see me, you see my Father. Okay, I'm the coin sent to planet Earth. So it means this, there's no God in heaven which isn't like Jesus there's no God in heaven which isn't like Jesus. And some people need to hear that. Because some people develop this view. And it's like, oh, I've sinned. I've wasted parts of my life. What's he going to be like when I approach him? He's going to be livid. He's going to cast me away. Because I've sinned again in that way. Again. And you forget that there's no God in heaven that's not like Jesus who welcomes sinners. Do not forget that. And today's reading, there's one particular aspect of God that Jesus shows to warm us as we approach the communion table. And it's God's fatherly characteristics. His fatherly characteristics. All bound up in Jesus, brought to the planet to warm us. So Isaiah 9 says there's a son coming and he's got a job to do, and it's to be fatherly to be fatherly, he's gonna be called Everlasting Father. He's got that job. So when my boys play uh, for football on Saturdays, I pull them aside and I say, right, honor the Batstone football name. (laughs) Now off you go, right? Represent the Batstone name. No diving like you see in the World Cup, no cheating, no whinging at the ref, be a little icon, Of the Batstone family name. And we play with honor. Right. Off you go. Go be fatherly. Show them what your father's principles are on the pitch. Go. And my father's principles and his. Off you go. That's your job. You'll be like a little everlasting father now on this pitch. Even though you're a son and you're not me. You're going to show what I'm like. Go. Okay. So Jesus, the icon, will be called everlasting father. In Isaiah 9.6. You will be like a father to Park End Church because that's what I want them to grasp about me. Now off you go. So Jesus becomes fatherly to sinners and we get amazed at his heavenly father the more that we trust in Jesus. He is not the eternal person of the father. He is though fatherly to remind us just how fatherly the whole Trinity is. What's God like? He cares for children. He's like a father to them. In Isaiah chapter 8, you have to read that for 9 to make sense, right? I'm just going to read a few cheeky verses from Isaiah chapter 8. In Isaiah chapter 8, God the Son is speaking. God the Son is speaking in Isaiah chapter 8. And He says, I, the Lord, will trust the Lord. Okay, so God the Son trusts God the Father. That's what the living God's like. Okay, now, here's Isaiah 8. Just bear with me while I read this, and then I'll hammer it home. Here's um, Isaiah 8, 17. This is the Lord speaking. You can read the whole chapter later. I, says the Lord, will wait for the Lord, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I, says the Lord, will put my trust in the Lord. And here's verse 18. This is the Lord speaking, the Son of God. Here I am, Lord, and... The children that you, the Lord, have given me. I've got them with me. Here I am, Lord, with the children you have given me. All right, That's Isaiah 8. And then in Hebrews 2, it's used again. Also talking about Jesus. And it says this in Hebrews 2. You can read it later. Verses 11, 12, and 13. Same chapter of Isaiah is used. Also about Jesus. And he says... Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brothers and sisters. He says to God, I will declare your name to my brothers and my sisters in church. I will sing your praises. I will put my trust in you, says the son. And then this, ready? Here I am, and the children that you have given me. See, this baby is like a Christmas father to the world he's very paternal and he does not want anybody to leave this building this morning or tune out at home not having him as a father and his father as a father utter protection he wants to gather you all up and say here i am lord with the children you've given me i've got my arms around them i'm bringing them to glory to be with you all of them the worst of them i've got them here i am And the children you have given me. He longs to be paternal. And we don't think about that enough with God. We go, almighty, ruler. But what else is he? Fatherly. To all of you. He knows the hairs on your head. That's why in the Gospels, he says things like in Luke, I would have gathered you. Like a hen gathers the chicks. Why don't you come to me? I'm the best option you've got. Or he says... To little children, come and receive my kingdom. He's fatherly, see, Jesus. Um, Or he says to like seven-year-olds or 70-year-olds, humble yourself like children, get over yourself, come to me, and the kingdom of God will be yours. Just rest with me. Here's my favorite one of the fatherliness of Jesus, and it's in John 17, and then I'm going to try and illustrate it badly as we come to... uh, Well, I'm not going to try and illustrate it badly. That wouldn't be very worthwhile. John 17, right? You can read it later. Jesus the Son is praying to his Father just before he dies on the cross for sinners. And he reflects on the people that he's saved. That God the Father has given him to save and to rescue. And he's talking about people that have been... "'God, you've given me people out from the world. "'They're now mine. "'I'm like fatherly looking over them.'" And then he prays for future believers, which include Park Enders here. And he's just about to die to protect them like a father. And he prays this, "'Father, I want those you have given me "'to be with me where I am and to see my glory, "'the glory you have given me "'because you loved me before the foundation of the world.'" I have made you known to them. I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me will be in them, these children that you have given me. And so the father says to Jesus, right, this group of parkenders, these sinners, right, they're actually worth dying for. So go be a father Protect them and bring them to me. Treasure them. I mean, that's quite mind-blowing when you think about how we behaved last week. Treasure them. It's going to cost us a lot to buy them out of sin and darkness and death and judgment. But tell you what, treasure them. right? Okay, here's the illustration to try and hammer that home. Levi, my seven-year-old, had a birthday last week. All right? And he wanted um, Mario Kart for the Nintendo Switch, which I'm sure you've all got. Yeah, nodding your head. So Mario Kart on the Nintendo Switch. Now, Nintendo, as you'll know, never have sales. And even when they do, they put the price up the week before, and the sale just knocks it down to what it was for the rest of the year. Classic Nintendo. Anyway, Levi's been on to me uh, all year for Mario Kart. It costs 40 quid. 40 I'm not making it up. So, I say to Levi, like, in January, when he starts going on about Mario Kart for his birthday, I say, Levi, you're like six years old. You're bleeding me dry for 40 quid. You can't even spell yet. And you're bleeding me for 40 quid for Mario Kart. Levi, in my day, kids were down the mines. (laughs) Get down the mines. Stop asking me for 40 quid for a computer game. Children these days... So anyway, he keeps on at me. Yeah, I just don't know, Levi, 40 quid. I never spend that on your mother. <laughs> and, but then he gets his brother involved, and it gets a bit layered then, because he comes up to me mid-year, and he goes, Dad, you know that 40 quid? I'm like, yeah. He goes, don't you keep asking Mum for a Ferrari? <laughs> How much does a Ferrari cost, Dad? Now, about that 40 quid... So I say, All right, I'll get you Mario Kart. I'll get you Mario Kart. So last week, because of that emotional blackmail, um, the day finally came and he opened it. And I said, What? As I handed it to him, I said, Son, I've never spent 40 quid on anyone in my life. Treasure this. Treasure it. Do not touch Mario Kart with sticky fingers. Do not. Let the dogs get to Mario Kart. Dust Mario Kart every week for half an hour. Keep it out of dangerous places because it cost me a lot. It's a precious gift. Isaiah 8, 9 and John 17 say this. For some amazing reason, the living God finds us precious, worth dying for and worth keeping. And the Father says to the Son, this is going to cost us a lot but you make sure you bring them back safely to me and you'll be an everlasting father to them, a father to the fatherless, a defender of the widows. You're going to set the lonely in families as we journey on together. You see, everybody, as we punch this home now as we approach the table, here's why it all matters. Everybody needs a father. Everybody, a good dad. Ephesians says the whole universe has been built around this idea That children need to be adopted into God's family. Nobody here should face the world's monsters on their own. We all need a father. We're heading to places which will be difficult. We need a father with us. Since I arrived, not far off a third of people who sat in these pews have now dropped into eternity and they face that monster, that scary, dark path and it would be silly of us to think that many of us, or at least some of us, won't head to some sort of journey like that in the weeks and months to come as we head into a new year. We need a father all the days of our life to guide us through the monsters of darkness. I've been around tough guys Tough guys who think the idea of manliness is to go through life on my own, hard to everything. I don't need anyone. I need to be independent. It's just me on my own. I don't need a father. And then one day they go to the doctor and they get a diagnosis. And then a few months later their muscle mass has been reduced. And a few weeks after that their lungs have packed in. Now they're on their backs and their mates aren't with them anymore from the pub because it's only me that's been allowed into the hospital. And their hand reaches out to me. And do you know what they never do? They never go, I want to do this on my own. They say this, I don't want to be alone. Is there a fatherly figure that you could tell me about? Let's stop being our own masters and our own fathers. We are all going to be cut down like grass. And let me now have the privilege of telling you what I tell everybody on their deathbeds. There is a father. And he loves to hold you as you face this journey. What dark room are you in at the moment? What are you scared of? You need a father. You need this son. You need this brother. For unto us a son is given. And he joins us in our darkness. He's not just a father. He's the saviour. He's our lord. He's our friend. He's our husband. He's our mother. And we're to trust him now. I close with this. Every year I drive to Pembrokeshire to go to be with my in-laws. Every year I get lost on the way to Pembrokeshire. There's too many lanes. And at one time I ended up in a, prim- a local primary school and the car park just slumped. I went down the wrong lane again. And in fact, some of my boys' cousins were in the playground laughing at me because they saw Uncle Owen there lost again on the way. There's too many like, what ifs, what ifs? What if I just go left? What if I just go right? Oh, I'm in a primary school lost again. It's much better when Rita drives because she knows the way. And the boys, they know that they don't need to fret or worry when mummy's driving because she knows what she's doing. And so we close with this thought. Jesus, the everlasting father, it means this, right through into eternity, he knows what he's doing for you. There's no what-ifs. There's no one going to take them down this dark alley where they're going to be totally lost. He holds your life and your future in his nailed, scarred hands, which are holding you, because he went all the way to hell for you. He's got your directions sorted. And faith is just placing our trust in this everlasting Father now as we sing and then approach taking his life into ours. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.